Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Brittany Crystal, the host of Beyond Influential Podcast. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network Podcast with my good friend, Travis Chabell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with my friend, Brittany Crystal. Brittany is a former lawyer turned personal branding expert, proud Latina entrepreneur, and the host of the top-rated business podcast, Beyond Influential. Brittany's experience is unlike anyone else's in the personal brand space. Her years of hands-on work behind the scenes, building brands for some of the heaviest hitters online, including Gary Vaynerchuk, Marie Forleo, and Tom Bilyeu, allowed her to develop a replicable process that she has now used to build her own profitable personal brand, as well as teach countless entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and influencers how to do it for themselves. Her platform has now impacted hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs on how to build an authentic brand online so they can create the real-life results that they want in life and business effectively, efficiently, and on their own terms. Uh, she's known for giving trusted, actionable advice on how to build an influential brand online 
and for having in-depth conversations with leaders and taste uh, makers in a variety of industries about how they establish their own influence. Brittany has been featured in publications like Thrive Global and on top-rated podcasts like The Skinny Confidential, him and her podcast, and Amy Porterfield's Online Marketing Made Easy. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation. Brittany and I have been meaning to get this on the books for a really long time. But first, really quickly, if you are a podcaster or you like to be a guest on podcasts, uh, then you're going to want to check out the software that my team and I just built called Guestio. Um, that's over at guestio.com. That's guestio.com. And you can sign up for a free account and then browse through our marketplace of shows and guests to find people that you actually want to interview on your podcast or to find shows that you actually want to be interviewed on about your book launches or product launches or anything else that you have going on. So guestio.com, head over there, create a free account and get started today. Brittany, what is going on? Thanks so much for taking the time to join me. I'm happy that we're finally able to make this happen. Thank you so much for having me. And your podcast is aptly named. You are great at building your network. And I've just been learning from you along the way. And like I said, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, no kidding. It's, I mean, like a year or two years, probably even closer to two years that we initially were introduced. Um, so finally able to get this one on the books. And I've been following your story and a lot of things that you've been putting out and learning a lot from you as well. And so I'm excited to, to dive into a couple of things. But first, before we do that, I always like to start back where it all began, build a little bit of context for those listening. And uh, tell me about, let's put a number on it, call it 11-year-old Brittany Crystal. You know, family life, where'd you grow up? What were you up to at the time? So I grew up around in Calabasas, so outside of LA. Now people know Calabasas from the Kardashians and that sort of thing, but that was not existing at the time. People didn't know what it was. I think 10-year-old Brittany, 11-year-old Brittany was starting a new school, but I wanted to I want to play in the NBA at that time. Like that was the dream. Nice. That was the goal. We share that. But, we have that in common. We both wanted to be in the NBA at 10 years old. Yeah, and I played basketball my whole life. That was the dream. But at the same time, I was kind of receiving the message that education was the way, education was the path. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to work in sports. You don't want to work in these things. You want to be like a lawyer. You want to have a profession. So basically I was kind of, fighting throughout my life. Now looking back, I was kind of fighting to like earn control and freedom, but I was like walking the safe path. Like the safe path was the path to like freedom and money and happiness. And that was the, that was the way, like my bat mitzvah to give you an, an idea was, uh, the theme was colleges. So to give you a little insight into like where, where kind of the head was at, I went to very intense college preparatory high school. Uh, my husband always jokes with me because I graduated with a class of like, he says it's like a large yoga class. So I graduated in a class of like 50 people. So I'd had a pretty, it was just really intense work. And I think about it now and I'm so used to working hard and it got me into that, that mindset that it made everything else easier after like college was easy and all of these different things. But it was it was a kind of environment where it really kind of messes with your your priorities. And I had I didn't really have, even though I had all of these great, I was a great student and achieved so much academically, it was still like I was chasing something. I was always chasing something. It was yeah. the next goal, the next thing, waiting to feel like fulfilled or happy. I was always reacting to someone else and like, for teachers and that sort of thing, where it's like, okay, you got to give these people what they want. You're catering to these people. You're waiting for, it's not this, it is waiting for permission, but you're waiting for other people 
to say, okay, go ahead. Or, okay, you did a good, you did good job. You did good work. Yeah. And that was a habit that I had to break, break in the real world. So there's a, a lot to unpack there. I think that your, your upbringing definitely prepared you to work hard in life, but I also don't know the balance, you know, and, and I have two small kids. So I'm always thinking about these types of things now as a parent um, from, from the parenting perspective, what do you think, what do you think would have potentially helped at the time to maybe perhaps allow you to, I don't know, enjoy those years a little bit more, or at least be present and not always constantly like pushing for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, because while that feeds ambition, I think that it starves fulfillment. And I've found myself on a similar hamster wheel at times because I'm always reaching for the next thing, reaching for the next thing, reaching for the next thing. And and again, while I think that that's mostly positive, I think that there are some negative effects to it and leads to a lot of, you know, a lot of the mental health issues that America's experiencing as a whole today, like anxiety or depression or loneliness or, um, you know, you name it. So uh, from the perspective that you have now in doing work that you actually care about and helping people live better versions of their lives and doing really fulfilling type work, what what would you what would you have said to your past self to you know maybe push you to to enjoy life a little bit more or to be in the present moment at least i mean that's such an excellent question i was actually interviewing someone yesterday for the podcast who works in education and and really taking a tech approach and she was explaining that you know they're trying to do these different things where kids aren't obviously it's hard to eliminate the grading systems and parents have certain expectations and you know, states when they're giving money have certain expectations for students. So it's hard to, you know, judge people on creativity and teamwork and collaboration. She was saying like, there's one valedictorian, like you don't want to like, because of the way the system's set up, the system's set up in a way to not nurture entrepreneurs, not nurture creativity, not nurture thinking. And again, I'm no education expert, but I've been going back and, and thinking about these things and wanting to have these conversations on the podcast because I'm actually going to work with her on developing a personal branding course specifically for students. Because what we know now, I wish I had the resources that I do now in terms of the online space and knowing about personal branding. So we'll get into my story a little bit more, but I became a lawyer. Like that's where I started my career. I became the lawyer that, that you know, they wanted me to be. And at the end of the day, if I had the tools at that time to reach out to people and have conversations like this, and just have like some real informational interviews with even with entertainment lawyers or just lawyers in general, I wouldn't have gone down that path because I would have known or figured out pretty quickly that it wasn't for me. And so I was doing like, okay, I went down, for example, I went down the law path and then I was like, no, I, I don't like this. I want to make sure I get the license. So I at least know I have it. And then basically I ended up taking a bunch of jobs after like an entertainment doing this self-awareness work essentially, but having to commit to, you know, I'm doing a year, I'm, I'm working in these jobs. And then you end up job hopping because you didn't have access to these people and you're all about build your network. Now you can really be building your network. Not only like when, like you can start doing it when you're in school and teaching kids these, these skill sets. And so even though that there is this it's interesting because I think the system's still old school, like I said. So I think people, like I'll talk to kids who are in college now or I'll teach at a class at a college and come in and talk about personal branding. And they still think like, like to them, influencers and like TikTok, it's like celebrities, but it's not a tool to grow your business, to build self-awareness, to really be mindful of who you are and what you love. And so I think as people in our space and adults, it's like, no, you can actually create 
create these opportunities. Like you being you is the key to that unlocks these doors, but it takes people understanding that and teaching that to your kids. And my parents thought they were doing the safe thing. And it's funny because my family's entrepreneur, they are entrepreneurs and they were all pushing the safe thing because I think they knew how hard it was, but they'd never trade it for anything. So it was like, okay, this is, you know, this is like the safe thing. Like you can do it and be safe and smart. This wasn't even on the table. So I know that like at that time, I don't know if they could have even encouraged anything different because they didn't know any different. My mom's from Guatemala, like you're in America, like this is like, go get a great education and have like Pepsi hire you and, you know, be stable and enjoy, you know, have a family. And I think that was just, it was just from a place that that was how the world was. Yeah, sure. And that's, I think, one of the big issues with the whole conversation is kind of what you're talking about earlier about the fact that you don't even, as a kid going into college, like you don't even really know who you are at all. How are you oh, supposed no. to know what you want to do for the rest of your life? That's a really big commitment. And, and yet kids all the time are committing to these majors when they're 18 years old and just out of high school. And the only thing that they know that might be an indicator of where they could possibly head down is like a counseling session with their career counselor and a couple conversations with know. their parents or their uncle. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, no, there's no real direction on where you want to go. And that's why there's so many people that waste their time in school and waste their money on student loans only to get out to do something that has nothing to do with the thing that they did that they studied in school. There's such a small percentage of people that I know or that I've talked to on the podcast that went to school and are actually using the degree that they went to school for. You know what I'm saying? So like there, there's clearly a gap there that nobody's really addressing. And I think to your point, that that's a really a really great way to go about about doing it. I I honestly think that it's probably a good idea to take a little bit of like a five year hiatus between high school and college. And after five years, if you really want to go still and you want to be uh, like the only the only caveat would be like if you for sure know that you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or something like that that requires immense amount of studying, then go into that immediately because that's going to take like twelve years anyway to get your 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 specialized degree in medicine or whatever it is that you're trying to get. Um, but if you're just one of those people that's just like wandering around, like oh, I don't really know what I want to do and blah blah blah, then maybe just do what what Brittany did. Maybe just go work. Find like go do things. Find like you know six months here, eight months here, a year here. Do things and try things and experiment and see if it's something that's going to work for you. Or you're going to end up like I did which was basically I, the year I was graduating college, I realized that I didn't want to do the thing that I was graduating college for. And so now it's four years gone that I can't get back, that I could have done the thing that I do now the whole time, getting experience and knowledge and working for people that were way smarter than I was. You know what I mean? So there's so many ways to go about doing it. But anyway, I know that's an entirely different conversation. We could talk about that the whole episode, but I want to get back into your story here specifically, Brittany. So you graduate college and you are a lawyer. And then you figure out pretty quickly that I don't want to be a lawyer. So what happens next? Bridge the gap for us between that decision and where you are now. So just for context, like I was so set on the law thing because again, you kind of, entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. The online space wasn't so much a thing at that time. That wasn't a job. 
I loved watching TV. So it was like, what's a practical job I can do? Oh, I can become an entertainment lawyer. So like even my high school yearbook, if you go back, everybody knew I was going to be like an entertainment lawyer. That was a thing. And then I went to college and my goal was singularly focused. Like I'm going to get to be this successful lawyer. I graduated college in three years from UCLA, like just like busting my butt to like get to this goal. And then I took, I was going to take a gap year to like try to enjoy my life. And I just ended up working at a, uh, ended up working as a legal assistant and taking the LSAT. I was starting to have doubts already. I didn't think it was for me. I was like, oh, maybe I want to go work and be an agent or something in Hollywood. Because I grew up in LA. So, you know, there's a mystique to that. And I knew I knew something about TV and basically what's now content. But I knew I knew something, but I'd really never thought of myself as a creative. I figured I would just represent these people. And my parents, again, it's just like, who are you listening to? You know, everyone's like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. People steal your clients. Like, that's not safe. Again, not safe, not practical. Go to law school. Like, you can use that degree for anything, which is a lie. Uh, that is not <laughs> just like an all-purpose degree. It's a very expensive, in quotes, all-purpose degree. So I went to Georgetown for law school. And in the first semester, I knew, I was like, this is not for me. I called my parents. I was like, this sucks. And everyone's like, oh, nobody likes law school. Like, you'll like the practice. And basically, as I was in law school, the economy started tanking. And so basically, when you graduate a school like that, you're pretty much guaranteed a six-figure job. I was very fortunate to have two summer associateships, even though the economy was tanking. But I was able to get jobs at firms during those summers. And basically, I was working. I wasn't working on anything sexy. And just so you know, like I don't find anything related to the law particularly that sexy. But I was working on securities, regulations, litigation, I was like 22 years old. I had a secretary outside who was 30 plus years older than me. I was making essentially a six figure salary at my early 20s. And I was never more miserable in my life. And I only had to do 12 weeks of this. Like this was a 12 week stint in a summer. And I was like, this cannot be it. I didn't just do all of the things for this. And I'm looking around. And again, this is like where the network comes in. And I'm like, okay, like what's aspirational? I'm looking around and these people are not happy. Like, they're not like, oh yeah, like I love being a lawyer. Like, this is great. Like it was just, and I'm still friendly with a lot of those people. A lot of those lawyers, they're cool people. But like, as far as, you know, it's kind of a risk averse group. And trust me, when I graduated law school, I passed the bar in New York. and was like, I'm, I at least want something that nobody can say that I couldn't do it. I could do this. I'm choosing not to do this. And if I ever want it, I can go back to it. But I was just like, this is not it. I got to figure out what it is. My best classes in school ended up being entrepreneurship and a negotiations class I took. And I think even my parents talking to them now, they were like, yeah, we saw you more as, they didn't even have a word for business development. They were like, you'd be more of like a rainmaker. We didn't actually see you practicing, like doing the law part. I was like, well, then why'd I go to law school? So like, well, you weren't going to be a doctor. So you're going to be a lawyer. It's like, well, shit, man. Yeah, so, for real. So basically after that, and here's where networking comes in again. You can't just go get a job in Hollywood. They have tons of people who are way over, way qualified, like, you know, Harvard Law people, people with MBAs, all of these things. You need to know people to open the door. And so I had to work at that. And that's why it's such a blessing now to be able to use the online space to open these doors and get access to all these people that like literally you're sending resumes and cover letters and hoping, you know, I think my father met, actually he did. He met someone at his gym who was an agent and happened to know someone at ICM and because he was formerly at ICM before he did his own thing. 
And I went in to ICM for an informational interview. And that informational interview went so well that I left with a job as an assistant. And that started my career down that path. But, but yeah, everyone thought I was nuts. My parents were like, okay, they saw how unhappy I was. So they understood why I was doing it. But yeah. let me tell you, all of the people I went to law school with and all of my friends were like, you are doing what? Like, why would you do this? And you're getting paid a frag. Like, it was so insane and wild at the time. And now to think of all the people who are coming to me now from high school, from middle school, from college, from all these people trying to transition, want to know what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Like, I was crazy 10 years ago. And now, right. now I'm, you know, a genius. <laughs> yeah, right. No, that's exactly how it works. That's exactly how it works. Anytime you take the unconventional path, you know, you have people that are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and, and largely, they're not doing it out of, you know, spite. They're doing it out of love. They, they don't want to see you go oh, down yeah. a path that isn't going to work well for you and only going to bring pain and, and uncertainty and things. And so they obviously want you to do the thing that's not going to lead down that path. But once you figure it out, which if you're committed to doing it consistently for over a long period of time, it's only a matter of time before you figure it out. And then once you figure it out, everybody's like, wait a second, how are you doing this? So can you walk me through this one more time? Because you yeah. tried to like a decade ago and I wasn't getting it. But now I think I get it. You know, so, um, so huge, huge props to you for, for making those decisions at such a young age. So this episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So you basically graduated uh, law school, passed the bar, and then go work as somebody's assistant, essentially. Yep. Okay. And, and how, I, how so old I were you? Assisted, I assisted, at that time, twin, I want to say 25. Okay. Okay. Is that accurate? 
Around so 24, then, 25. So then over the next few years, talk us through what happens next. Okay. So this, I call this my Goldilocks years. So I worked at a talent, a talent agency, huge talent agency. Then I moved over to a huge talent management company. Then I ended up working at a production company. And then I ended up working at a television network. And I was trying to find my place in this space. And it just felt like I knew something was here but I couldn't figure out where I fit. Like I wasn't the right groups of people necessarily. And I was like, yeah. I like aspects of this. I don't love aspects of this. And like I said, this was a little bit different where it's like you actually have to go out and get the job in order to find out if you like the thing. Yeah. And right. so I was super discouraged. And I want to say that I don't want to gloss over that. Like this was a hard point in my life. This was a hard period because it's like, ugh, like I knew that I was smart. I knew that I could bring value but I yeah. couldn't figure out where and I wasn't being valued. And now with me too, and all of the things, the industry has changed a little bit, but it was not, you were always afraid of getting fired. You were always afraid of somebody because literally somebody could say like, you are never working in this town again. And they had the power to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much a culture of fear and feeling like a lack of control over your own destiny. And yeah. so for me, I was like, well, is there another industry I can be in where I can take my talents, especially at the time that I was working at the network, which was in 2014, before I started working at VaynerMedia, I was not watching TV anymore. I was on my phone. <laughs> Social media was now the thing. I'm on, you know, I'm on Instagram all the time. And I'm like, why are people worried about these TV shows? Like, I'm not watching these shows anymore. Like, I'm, I'm here on. And so I was more interested in marketing. And my now husband sent me a Gary Vee tweet. I had no idea who Gary Vee was. And he was just like, I think you'd like this guy. The tweet was literally just like, opening an LA office, like open positions here. It was like a non-tweet. And I was like, nobody gets a job from just applying. You have to know someone. He was like, just apply. Like I was studying for the GMAT because I thought I had to go to business school to get a job in marketing. That would have been one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. I did not take that. I got the job at Vayner after I picked a job I thought I could get off of the website. And luckily I got the job there and that kind of opened up my world to marketing. Okay. So you mentioned like five different positions just a second ago. Yep. Over what period of time was that? Four or five years. Okay. So literally you're switching yep. like once I'm a switching. year. Because you're basically. like usually an assistant for like, you're usually on like a desk or whatever, a lot of times for a year and depending yeah. on. So usually like a year was the kind of commitment that people would make. And again, at this time, people are still used to like, oh, you go somewhere, you stay there for like at least Forever. a few years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll sure. get to it. But the longest job I had was at Vayner. I stayed there for, I've been in business now for myself longer than I worked at any job, but Vayner, I was at for like three years. Okay. So, so let's talk about that then. And I, you obviously did make the, the proper decision instead of going to business school to learn marketing from somebody who's never been successful in marketing, hence why they're <laughs> teaching marketing for a $60,000 salary at a school. And obviously if you went to a real you know, business school, there's, there's people with more experience and they have guest lecturers and different things like that. But Still, the sentiment remains. If you're that good at marketing, you're not teaching it at a school. <laughs> you're doing it in real life. No, so, you can come in and guest lecture and then leave. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you decide to go learn from the master of social media marketing, Gary Vaynerchuk. And so talk to us a little bit about how you got involved there, what your main responsibilities were, and, um, and then what it was like, you know, working for Gary. Because I mean, that's still kind of early days of Gary, right? I mean, like that was like right when he was coming out with Jab, Jab, 
jab, right hook. Is that right? So it was after that. So I took the job at Vayner in 2014. It was the first job I had as an, as an adult. I just want to say where I didn't have to ask to go to the bathroom. Like that blows <laughs> people's minds. I had to ask to go to the bathroom. And so people yeah. ask me about working for Gary because that will come in a little bit. But Gary was the least intense. He's intense and he obviously puts in work and working for him is not just like a cakewalk. But at the same time, he was the nicest, easiest like boss I've ever had. (laughs) And so props to him for that. So like that kind of thing, like I was so used to it. So I took the job as a project manager in the LA office and really the hub, there were 30 people in that office. The hub of business was based in New York. That had a few hundreds of people there. and, And that's really where the business was, where Gary was based. So I was working on the big brands that they had in, you know, in the LA office that that office was doing between like the account people. I saw all the pieces and I was like, I really like this environment. I love what's going on here. This role isn't necessarily for me. And they also knew I was overqualified for the role, but like, it was like one of those things where I was like, I was just happy to be there. I was happy to learn. At that point, I was already interested in kind of tech and marketing and thinking I wanted to build my own thing. I just didn't know how I had no, you know, I didn't know. And so I actually met Gary. I started August, 2014, December of 2014. I met Gary at the Christmas party when we were on the same trivia team. And it was me and two other guys on this trivia team. And it was a cool night. He ate all of our leftover chicken wings. I like to remind him about that, like wings that we had eaten. He cleaned, (laughs) he like literally like picked up our, our leftovers and like cleaned them off. He was like such an interesting dude when I actually encountered him. And I was like, I don't know if that went well at all. Like I didn't think about it. And then the next month he came back and he was doing one-on-ones with everyone in the office. And he was like, you're overqualified for what you do. What do you really want to do? And I thought I wanted to invest his money because I glossed over this, but I used to play poker and I just like have a sense for people. I thought I wanted to like invest in, help him invest in like his seed fund or something. And he was like, I think, why don't you look into like growth hacking? He gave me some things to like think about. And then he was like, would you ever consider moving out to New York? And I said, I've lived in New York, like maybe it depends, you know. And so over the next I'd say six months from January up until June, when I got the offer to move, we just kind of went back and forth and everything new that comes out of Vayner starts with him, starts in New York. And in June, he was like, I'm about to get really serious about my personal brand. His next book was going to come out, the hashtag Ask Gary V book. And that was in 20, that was going to release in March, 2016. So we're having this conversation summer of 2015. He's like, move out give me a year. I'm going to get really serious about my personal brand. I think you know something, come out. And so in my head, I'm like, that's my MBA. I'm going out there for a year. And at the end of that, I'm going to learn everything I can. And I'm going to, my idea was I was going to pitch him like a startup idea. Like that was my thought. I was like, I'm just going to learn everything. And like, I'm just going to go out there. I didn't want to go back to New York, but I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to be working all the time anyway. And basically I moved out there October, 2015 And it was early days of the personal brand team. It was like six to eight of us. And we're working on the, you know, we're blowing up the show. And like, I had to learn how to optimize on every platform. And everybody had like, it was very small startup, but I got to learn all of the aspects of building out a personal brand. I saw like the impact that he was having, because I really wasn't a fan of his prior. Like I didn't know him, but he was at the end of the day, like all these people are just humans. And he was having this massive impact. And it was like early days of influencer marketing. And I had to find these influencers to hold his book. And I was reaching out to them and they were all like, oh my gosh, like he's changed my life. Crush it, changed my life. It was just blowing my mind. And I didn't expect to love it, but like three months in, I went to him and I was like, I know you're building out the personal branding arm of this agency. I want it, like, I want in on that. Like the personal brand thing just like 
hit home for me the way that working on the big brands just didn't like humans do it for me. So that was like my like light bulb moment of like, oh shit, there's something here. Yeah. Right. So you end up obviously working for him for a little bit longer there. What was the, what was the deciding factor in not working there anymore? There were a few things for me, freedom. I wanted to be remote. I wanted to travel. I wanted to live my life. I wanted to decide which clients I took on, who I didn't take on. It was it was really more of a lifestyle thing. I'm not an yeah. office person. I knew yeah. that. My husband had the remote capability. I'm, I was always, and this is probably a little bit of a thorn in my side from always. It's like, if I do my work, why do I need somebody to watch me do my work? Like if I get my shit yeah. done and I do it well, in an office in a team dynamic with certain types of teams and someone else's business, you can't do that. So there yeah. just came a point where it's like, well, I'm going to have to, like, there's no other alternative. Sure. You got to so, feed, feed the inner entrepreneur. Yeah. But before I didn't know for a fact if I could replicate it yet. So what was great is that after Gary was already a personality. He's very comfortable on camera. He's an extrovert. He had been practiced at that point being on camera for over a decade. So I needed to see if I could take somebody who was not, as interesting or maybe not as much of a personality in an area that maybe wasn't as sexy and produce them and take their brand and do something with it and how that worked and all of those sorts of things. And so I was able to do that, you know, somewhat with, with Vayner. And then I was able to leave when a lot of those, actually a lot of those clients kind of knew that was where I was going anyway, and they wanted to, to retain me. So I actually was able to kind of bridge the gap between Vayner into something safe where I was just on I was actually on the other side from people who were working at Boehner. And then on that path is when I started realizing all these other things that we'll get to. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's go ahead and get to that then because I want to get into a little bit of the meat here. So top three things you learned about personal branding, working for Gary and now doing your own agency where you help a lot of people build their personal brands. So very, here's the thing is the one thing I've learned working with all of these powerful people is they are human. And that's also one of those things where it's like seeing it firsthand, it's like, it is possible. And I think that was like the biggest, like most mind blowing thing was that it's, it is possible. It's possible for literally, I see possibility for anyone everywhere at any time. And so that was super exciting. And I think it just took a shift. People always think that Gary was the moment that, that changed my world. Gary turned he turned on a light bulb for me, but what actually changed everything for me was starting my own podcast that, so I left Vayner May, 2017. What changed the game for me was starting my podcast in October of 2017 and creating my own personal brand and my own content. So like Gary, like a, like I will always give him his respect and his flowers on that. Yeah. But he didn't, I wouldn't be in business now if I didn't take that and run with it and do other things with it and create my own content. So it really is about putting yourself, putting yourself out there and being yourself. And what I loved about him and everyone that I've worked with and for, it's like, I don't work with people who want to be Gary. You can't be Gary. You can't, you're going to be a second rate. It it doesn't work. Like you have to be yourself. And so all those people, the reason it works for him is because he's being himself. Like that's that's truly him. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so that's why these other copies don't work. And so even going into my own brand, one of my biggest regrets is not starting the podcast sooner. Um, I think about that. Out of all of the business things, I'm like, I wish I'd started it sooner, but I didn't want to start it when I was at Vayner. I held myself back from it. But that was the game changer. And it's like that did everything for me. But I had the, I was able to build up the confidence by have by like working with him and then working with these other people and being able to replicate it 
And then I didn't have a course yet. And then you're like out there and then I'm meeting these other people and learning because he doesn't do the course thing. And so I had to learn like what business model works for me that I can have the freedom that I can make money that I don't need to be exchanging time for money and doing clients because I was still like in the so in the weeds of how to make and making content for people. I didn't want to be doing that anymore. I want to be making my own content and teaching people how to make their own content. I wanted off of that completely. And so that was a journey on its on its own too. Yeah, no. And that's something I really appreciate about you is that you actually went out and did the thing that you were doing for other people. Because uh, that's something, something that I look at, especially like in content creation and stuff. There's a lot of you know people that, that are out there teaching certain things online, but they've never actually done it themselves. And it's that. like, well, well, I've done it. You know, I did it for this person and this person and this person. And it's like, well, it's exactly what you said, Brittany. It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, that's that's Gary, right? I mean, you could know zero things about personal branding and be successful building Gary's brand because he's Gary and he was already really well known. He was already like, he was him. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't say that you're that like, you can't point to the people that had existing brands and audiences when you help them start a YouTube channel or start a podcast and then say, look at the amazing results that I can get. It's like, no, no, no. I want to see, did you do it? Did you take the same things that you're saying that you're going to teach me? Did you do it for you? And if not, why not? If it works so well and that's the goal, then why haven't you done it for yourself yet? You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make any sense. 100%. I'm very much a put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. I didn't feel, I didn't even feel right advising people. And that's the thing also when you're consulting and when you do have clients, if they're not doing it and they're not listening to you, a part of my impetus was like, well, if you're not going to take it, like I'm going to show you. Yeah. I can't give advice that I haven't taken myself. And so for me, like I do see a lot of people who are in quotes, personal brand experts who are helping grow people who already have a ton of money to put into ads, a ton of money to put into things. So that's why I wanted to create, and I did create courses. I created the LinkedIn laws was my first course. I created this clarity course because I wanted to take somebody who's just an entrepreneur or not an entrepreneur, but entrepreneurial minded, who's hungry, wants to position themselves online at any level. And I know that this works. It works if you know nothing to start from scratch and you can build Cause that's the like thing to me. It's like, who cares? Like if you have a million dollars to blow on ads or whatever, like, of course we can blow you up. Like you can make some yeah. content. It doesn't even need to be great content right. and you can get in front of people, but it's something else. And I think I had that for myself where it's like, okay, I get how this works. Let's take it and apply it to myself. Let's take it and apply it to these people who have, like I said, like no basis, don't even want to be on camera, like introverts, whoever, cause I want it to work for those people, especially the right. people. I feel like the more, sometimes the loudest people are usually the loudest people are the ones who know the least. My passion is these people who have like actually been in the trenches. They have this experience. They've really been working, but they haven't been, they might be influential maybe in their sphere, but people don't know them. They don't know how to find them. And so they're almost like retroactively building this brand. Like I love getting those people in front of audiences. I think that's fun. Yeah, right. No, I totally agree. It's funny that you brought that up because um, I was I was going to show you. I know that people listening can't see this, but this was literally a post that we did, I think, yesterday. And uh, it says, no one, <laughs> no one has stronger opinions about podcasting than podcasters with no listeners. I was like a post that we just put out yesterday. So it's funny that you phrased that the way that you did because... <laughs> We, I obviously couldn't agree more. Um, and that's exactly, exactly what's happening is that people, the people that do the surface level learning are the ones that are the loudest about the small amount of surface level learning that they've done. You know what I'm saying? So if you know more than most people, then you tend to like put it out there as if you've been doing, as if you've put in 10,000 hours and become world-class at it. 
And, um, and I think that that really cripples a lot of people because they're not as eager to learn or as open-minded as they should be uh, to new concepts and new ideas. So Brittany, I want to talk with you a little bit about relationship building here because it's obviously been something that's been kind of a cornerstone for you in, in your business and your career. I got to ask you this question just to kind of get the conversation moved that, moving in that direction. Who you know or what you know? Which of those two do you view as being the most important asset in life and why? I mean, you know that it's a combination, but it, it doesn't matter what you know if there isn't at least one other who who knows it. So that's the thing. It's not just only about who you know, and a lot of people do get by on that. And it's great to have the what you know. And I'm huge on actually knowing every aspect of like knowing enough to be dangerous and continuing yeah. to learn. But it's a game of finding and being found. And that's why personal branding is so important because it's great to know all of these things, but if literally no one knows you know it, then what good is it? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a combination. I do think what is important. I don't think you can only sure. rely on who you know, but oh, yeah, you need both. Yeah, you got to perfect your craft and you have to be constantly learning. The The difference to me is that is that if you get around the right who, your what can grow exponentially. Whereas if you Huge. just read a book, your who might not grow exponentially. You know what I mean? Like you got to put in work to make both of those things happen. So, and you're, I mean, you're a, you're a product of that. You worked at Banner Media for three years. Like you downloaded information from Gary's brain about how to do this in an effective way. And then you took that, sprinkled in your own, you know, take on it and your own personality into it and injected that into it and then built your personal brand with those things. Like you are a perfect case study to say that, like that when you get around the right people, you can learn at an exponential rate rather than just learning on a, on a very steady rate. You can get away with learning from other people's mistakes, I guess is what I'm saying. And you can get direct feedback on your exact situation and be able to switch things and, and learn and improve at just such a faster rate. So that, that's what it is to me. It's the fast pass to getting to where you want to be is, is going with the who first rather than focusing on, on, on the what first. And I, but again, to, to your point, both have to be present. You can't just, unless you're so good at the who part that that's, is your what? Does that make sense? Which like, is a thing too. Yeah, there sure. are a few people that I know who's their job to be relationship just building. Connectors, connectors, connectors. And they're just business develop, development people that they make partnerships and you know they help recruit people and they connect people here and there. So there, there is that. But, but for the most part, like you, you got to be good at what you do, competent at what you do and, uh, and continuing to improve on what you do while getting around people who do what you do on a much higher level so that you can learn and download information you know, from those people and build real relationships. So talk to me about, besides Gary, because we've already kind of exhausted that conversation. Besides Gary, talk to me about another relationship in your life that maybe you underestimated at first, but ended up turning into something really huge, an opportunity, a business model, a piece of knowledge, a connection, like something came out of it when you didn't really expect anything to. Well, the podcast, to be, to be frank, so I want to talk about this a little bit because, again, this isn't so much related to that experience, but it's like I knew going in already that this was going to be a long game and a patience game. So it's so incredible to me how many relationships I made just over the last however many years that come into play, even if you're just kind of seeding those relationships where it's like you just have one conversation, even like us, where it's like, okay, I'm going to get around to it. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where, where you don't have the expectation. Like I knew starting the podcast, I came in and I was like, okay, I know podcasting is a long game. I know I need to make content. I know this is my arena. 
But the first guests that I had to think of that came to mind were people that I've been interacting with over the last few years at my different jobs and things that it's like, I want to bring value to them. Like, I know this will be interesting for an audience. It's not about me. So calling on those people to do that. And then it just kind of compounded on itself where it's like, okay, then you put it out there and then it's, it's putting it out there without expectation and being patient about it because it wasn't happening overnight. But there was, I was actually thinking about uh, relationships. I left, uh, this is a story I haven't told anywhere, but I thought about it today when I was listening to other podcast episodes you had done. I know you've interviewed like Jasmine Starr. This was two years ago, 2018. I hadn't built my course yet. I'd worked on Marie's Forleo, Marie Forleo's launch, all of those things. I got invited to a dinner that was Amy Porterfield, Jasmine Starr, and two other folks. And I was going to be at South by Southwest. So I, the dinner was like on a Friday night. I had to give my talk at South by on Thursday, which was already crazy because I hadn't ever expected. I never like put out for speaking gigs or anything. Those were all from people I'd interviewed on the podcast, people that they introduced me to, building my own brand. Anyway, I felt like I'm more of a one-on-one connector. I like small groups. I like the podcast because it's intimate, even though it's going out to many, it feels like you're having a one-on-one conversation because you are. And so I remember they thought it was crazy, but I was like, I got to leave South by, I know there's all these like great people here. Cause it was going through, everybody was staying till Sunday. And like, there's such great in quotes networking. And I was like, I have to go to this dinner. I knew like I had known Amy and Jasmine just from like starting to learn about the space but I was like, there's something to that dinner. That dinner is more important than me being at South by Southwest. I did my thing. I flew back. I never I didn't tell them about it. It wasn't like I left my thing because I felt like I needed to have dinner with you guys. <laughs> but I went to this dinner and it wasn't a business dinner. It was just a normal person dinner talking about normal person things. And that's where the intimacy happens. Yeah, it's and way I think better. That's what's, that's what's so important for like people who listen to your podcast, that it's not about the like, oh, well, what can I do for you? And what can you do for me? It's these moments where you're just being a real human that when you get the opportunity to do that with people and it works, like you, like you just have that for, like you have like a grounding, you have that like, okay, here's the intro made and you're not talking about business. And it doesn't feel like in South by where people are already on their guard, they know everyone's there to network. And you have to like fight all these people to get attention. Yeah, right. Everybody's just pitching each other and throwing business cards at each other. And yeah, that's like the main point of the show, Brittany, which you know is just like, we try to tell people stop networking and start building real relationships. Like stop, you know, like go, like do do networking, just do it better. You know what I mean? Like stop thinking, stop treating it like it's an in-person cold calling opportunity that you have to close business at on the first point of contact or else it's a waste of, of time and money and start thinking about long-term relationship building with real people. And those, it's always, that's always going to work out better. And because people, people might argue the point and be like, well, you know, I go to networking events and I get this, this, and this, and this from it. And it's like, yeah, but you've been doing that for 17 years, bro. How much longer are you going to keep going to networking events and pitching everybody in the room, pissing off 90% of them and doing business with 10% of them? Like, that's not how you treat people. And that's not how you win long-term. That, that's, it guarantees the grind is what it does. It guarantees that in 20 years, you're going to have to go to the same networking event and get the same business from the same takers that are in the room because you haven't done a good enough job of building relationships over the last couple of decades to prevent you from having to be in that grind anymore. You know what I mean? So you've got to focus on building real relationships in a real context that actually matters and not just networking, quote unquote, 1983 style, 
you know, version of, of networking. So I really appreciate that insight there, Brittany. And I know that we're running out of time here. So I do want to move on into the last segment. So I'd like to call the random round, just quick, random questions, quick, random answers. You ready? Mm-hmm. What? Think. Yeah, here we go. We'll, we'll see. What profession other than your own, do you think that it'd be fun to attempt? See, I, I keep thinking that so many of the professions that I'd like to attempt, I could do like that I could actually create like building a makeup line or like being a makeup YouTuber just for the hell of it. But maybe like reality TV, that or like, I'd say tech investor, but I think like reality TV star, just like having just that, even if reality TV isn't so much of a thing, I just want to see if I could do it for the hell of it. Yeah. And if you were on reality TV, then you could become a tech investor because of the fame that you get from reality television. So well, I'm going to do that from the podcast anyway. So it's like, that's true. Like, I just, I guess I was thinking about like the Kardashians and that sort of thing, but it's so hard to think of something that's not, unless it's like, listen, rock star, like I'm, I have no musical talent whatsoever. I think it'd maybe be fun to try, but it would just be bad for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> if you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Two answers came to mind. One were, I'm not religious at all, but one were like religious figures. So like, a Jesus, like if I could talk to somebody and actually get answers about what happens in the afterlife and that sort of thing. And the other person that came to mind was my grandmother. So my grandmother was from Guatemala and she, uh, she passed when I was 16. She only spoke Spanish, but now I've been learning so much about her background. She had a salon out there. She was an entrepreneur. She moved my mother and, you know, my uncle over when they were, I think like my mom was around like 18 and started her own thing out here. And I mean, like way before the time where this was a thing. And she would like look at styles from New York and from Europe, all of like so progressive at a time where this was not a thing. Like I'm shocked that women own, she was allowed to even like own a business out there. All of those, like, I would just love to talk to her now having the insight that I have just blown away. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? I kind of do all the things. I need to supplement. Some people I know are like just doers. I like to do some research first, whether it's, I'm always looking for the experts in whatever area, who actually knows their shit. And so depending on the topic, where do I find the people? Are they in books? Are they in, so I'm like books, blogs, podcasts, definitely video, YouTube. I'm, I think it's the lawyer in me. I'm like I said, great at research. So whatever resource works, I'm doing it. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I'm working on that actually. So right now it's, I'm working on the, just getting up and not looking at the phone. That's the biggest thing. Like that's the one piece of my morning routine that I need to cut out doing at this point that I'm trying to break myself of the habit of. But um, I've been working on meditation and self-compassion, specifically mindful self-compassion, because I think that's something that needs to be worked on in general. I think I thought talking to myself in a certain way and what pushes me, I think at this certain point in my business with mindset, it's more important that I learn these other mindful skills. I think people talk about mindset work in different ways. And I think a lot of the mindset work that people actually need to do is like mindfulness and self-compassion. So do that, get up, shower, coffee, write down what I need to do for the day that'll make it a success. And then I usually check in with my team And normally I used to work out in the mornings, but I've found now that over time that I'm more productive creatively in the earlier in the day. So I, I schedule my working blocks to then be done with any kind of hardcore creative work by 2 PM. And then I work out in the afternoons now. So that's been, that's been the morning routine, but you know, there's always fires and things like that. (laughs) 
yeah, always things to derail you. That's for sure. Um, what is your go-to pump-up song? I do like How Do You Like Me Now. I'm trying to think who, who does that song. Oh, The Heavy. Perfect. Sweet. What is something, Brittany, that you are not very good at? Organization and cleaning up. Anything organizationally, like I'm all, I'm all strategy and vision. And when it comes, I understand what goes logically, but if you want me to like actually create the system, no, it's not happening. I know how the socks should look. I need somebody else to like put the socks in order. <laughs> yeah, got it. Got it. And as we get everything wrapped up here, what's one place online where our listeners should go to connect with you the most? Instagram, my website. But Instagram, I've been hanging out a lot. On. I love Clubhouse too right now. I know that's popping, but but Instagram, you'll still find me. Cool, cool. So at Brittany Crystal over on yes. Instagram, that's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y. K-R-Y-S-T-L-E, Brittany Crystal over on Instagram. Be sure to go check out some of the stuff that Brittany's putting out over there. If you're listening, you're probably somebody that has or wants to build a personal brand. And uh, there's nobody that I recommend more than, than Brittany. So go check out some of the stuff that she has. I know she has some products and courses and things like that um, as well. So just go check out some of the stuff that she has. Reach out to her, say what's up, tell you heard about her here on the show. Brittany, thanks so much for coming on. Had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.